0: Welcome to Souls Harbors Weekly Podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey everybody, welcome to our Bible study tonight. We're glad to have you on the feed this evening. Um, hey, have you ever wondered or been frustrated by the idea that it seems like sometimes in this world there is just no justice. Nobody ever gets their uh, just desserts, let's just call it that. If, if you have, tonight's uh, Bible study is for you. We're going to talk about... Uh, ultimate justice. We're going to talk about justice and how it is coming one of these days and all in the context of what we've been studying, and that is Jesus in Revelation, Christ in Revelation. So stick around. We hope you guys will be with us for a while tonight as we go through this Bible study. If you're new to our feed this evening, I'm Pastor Barry from Souls Harbor, and we are glad to have you with us. If you're watching uh, after this uh, is no longer live, again, we're just glad to have you watch. We'd love to have you uh, become part of our group, or even better yet, become part of our church. And if you happen to be out there tonight, uh, hit the like button, share, um, let people know that you watched, get the word around, um, and even leave us a comment. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'm looking to see who we got with us tonight. I see Joe's out there and Brenda and Cheryl and Mac and Pat and we've got, uh, looks like Pastor Duke and Janet are with us. And I see Bill Parker and Shelly. we got a bunch of people out there tonight. So welcome. It's good to have all of you. If you happen to be with us tonight and you're not from the Indianapolis area, you could even go ahead and post and comment tonight and let us know where you're from. I'd love to hear uh, where in the world, because after all, this is Facebook and it goes around the world. Would love to hear where you might be from. Well, with that... We're going to get into our study tonight, and we're going to talk about justice. We're going to talk about Christ. We're going to talk about last days. We're going to talk about a lot of really interesting stuff. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump right in this evening. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you are always in control. And I pray tonight as we dive into this study of your word that you would take it, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand it. God, to, to just find encouragement and direction from it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're in week five of Christ and Revelation. We have this week and one week more to go, uh, and we're going to be changing up our Bible study. Uh, We are going after, not next week, but the week after that, we are actually going to be jumping into uh, the New Testament, our Old Testament survey, kind of an overview of the Old Testament, and then uh, New Testament survey, an overview of the New Testament. Hope you guys will join us for that as well well hey let's start with this we've we've hit this a few times in the last few weeks what is the theme of Revelation and while the end times last times last days is certainly high and and an integral part of what we're talking about based on what we read that and saw that first week it's really about the revelation of Jesus Christ or the revealing of Jesus Christ last week as we looked at how Jesus is revealed in Revelation we saw that And we heard, rather, that Jesus was described uh, in chapter 5 as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then if you noticed, when John turned around and saw in his vision, saw Jesus, he didn't see a lion. Rather, he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And we see this, this um, dichotomy, I guess, of, of who Jesus is showing up in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Well, this week... We're going to see Jesus again come back, not as the lamb, but we're going to begin to see Jesus as the lion. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19 tonight, and we're going to work our way through some various passages and see what we can learn about Jesus, this revelation of Jesus uh, in Revelation 19. And it's all going to tie to this concept of, is there ever going to come a point in a time and a day when those that seem to always get away with it find justice? Let me skip to the end and give you an answer. The answer is Yes and I hope you'll stick around tonight to find out how that works and how that's going to happen. Let's let's before we jump into revelation itself, let me let me just talk about this for a minute. What we're going to look at tonight in chapter 19 and really this goes all the way back to like chapter 17, it's 17 18 19 and on into 20 and even a little bit into 21. I believe it's the culmination of a battle that began eons ago. And, and I want to share with you some Old Testament scriptures to show you what I'm talking about. These are probably the most common scriptures, Ezekiel 28, that describe the fall of the ultimate person, that ultimate one that seems to be getting away with a lot, and that is Satan himself. And, and let me just share with you a few Uh, passages here out of Ezekiel 28 I'm going to read verse 12 and you guys that are able to seek and follow along if not just listen it says this you were the signet of perfection describing uh, Lucifer you were the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty you were in Eden who was in Eden The, the, the 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 serpent was in Eden Satan was in Eden the garden of God you were an anointed guardian cherub I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of stones of fire you walked. Verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. You were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty, you corrupted wisdom for the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground. And we see Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17, that description of the fall of Satan. Let's look at another passage in Revelation now that kind of ties into that and goes along with it. And I want you to see that what we're looking at tonight, this end justice, this final justice, is justice for a battle, uh, a war that that has been going on for eons. We read in Revelation 12, Now, war arose in heaven... Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven now i titled this those of you who can see the screen i captioned this the war that was no war and the reason i did that was satan thinks he's in a war with god he thinks he's in a battle with god he thinks that he has an opportunity to win this war but in reality it really is no war god has already won he won before satan was even created god by virtue of being god knows all things knows what was coming and knew that by giving Satan at some point in the past apparently free will that he would choose to make uh, he would make a bad choice. Th- there is no war here. This th- this is a battle that is already won. Satan just happens to think it is. But what we did see was there a ba- was a battle that took place in in eons past that has been continuing on, but it's not so much Satan having a chance of beating God as it is Satan doing everything he can to hurt what is most precious to God and that is his creation so this Satan that we're talking about tonight he has spent eons bringing pain and suffering um, in a variety of ways to God's creation to humanity um, beginning in the Garden of Eden and is there ever going to be justice for that let's read this last few verses in Revelation 12 and the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan The deceiver of the whole world he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him And then we read in Genesis 3 1 the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made He said to the woman did God actually say well, let's jump on over um, Tonight and look at this idea of righteous judgment and war and this is the way revelation 19 um, starts out It, it says in Revelation 19 then, verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one who, sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now, I, I want to talk about this for just a minute tonight, okay? Uh, because we're living in a day and an age where culturally, um, the idea of war and judgment, people get really weird about this. And, and, I mean, war is never something we should go into easily or lightly, But there are instances where there is such a thing as a just war or a righteous war. And people get really weird about the whole idea of judgment. They don't like the idea of judgment, usually because they're afraid it's going to be applied to them. I don't want anybody judging me. Well, I I get that. But usually that issue, really what it comes down to is don't judge me hypocritically. Okay, don't judge me one way and yourself the other. But I want you to see tonight that when we open up verse 11 in chapter 19, and John Uh, sees heaven opened and we see the end of things coming this one who is jesus christ this one who is called faithful and true it makes the point that in righteousness he judges and makes war so what we're about to see in these next few verses is some pretty graphic descriptions of of the last battle if you will or at least the, the the last moments in judgment upon satan and those that have followed him and, and as we read it it gets almost gory well not almost it gets gory at places but i want you to realize tonight this is this is righteous um, judgment and this is righteous war and, and that's the one thing we can depend upon when it comes to jesus he what he does whether even to the extent of war and judgment is going to be done in a way that is just and righteous and and, and I don't want you to lose sight of that tonight uh, another piece of this i want to talk about as we move deeper into revelation 19 11. Uh, down through the first three verses of 20. The, this idea of rapture and second coming. Sometimes we uh, get a little confused about this. In fact, I, I can remember a few months ago having some conversations about this in one of our earlier studies. Maybe may have been a year ago. Um, the, the second coming, the first coming of Jesus, of course, was birth, uh, when he was born of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and we know, of course, he grew up, was was crucified on the cross, rose three days later and then ascended into heaven that's the first coming the second coming and this is where we get confused he's going to come back there's going to be a rapture of the church paul talks about there will be a catching away which we label rapture that's going to take place at the end of times end of time and and the church those that have um given their life to christ that have allowed his blood to wash their sins clean uh, and are seen as righteous before god because of that they'll be raptured or uh, caught away Uh, And then we go into what's described as a seven-year tribulation. And at the end of that tribulation is the second coming, uh, which is what we're looking at tonight in Revelation 19. And probably the best way I've heard this explained is this. It's all the second coming, okay? It's not like we have the rapture, which is like a half coming. He comes back, but doesn't touch down on earth. And then he comes back in Revelation 19, the second coming. Uh, It's all part of the second coming. Is usually the way it's thought of. So I, I hope that helps tonight. There's going to be a rapture. Jesus is going to call the church the 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 saints the the believers will be caught up with him and meet him in the air and, and Which is part of the second coming and then the final part of that second coming is where we're at tonight in Revelation 19 and I hope that makes some sense tonight This is the time where Facebook live is a little frustrating because I can't see your eyes and your face and your body language to know What you're thinking or whether this is making sense So if it's not you guys post something out there you guys comment you throw out a question. Give me a thumbs up something Let me know um, I, it helps. I would really appreciate it if you give me that little bit of feedback tonight. So we go on into Revelation. And remember, this is, this is a study of Christ in Revelation or the revealing of Christ. And let's just look at some of these things that describe Christ uh, as we move into this point where he's coming back. Uh, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now, let me just say to you tonight, listen, we could take any one of these items and probably spend an entire class just talking about all the connections those have. These connect in, in several ways, and we're just going to hit some highlights of each one tonight. The, there's many, many connections to the Old Testament, Old Testament references. We're going to see some New Testament uh, references, and we're also going to see some cultural references. Remember, this letter, this book was written to the first century church in the time of Rome and the Caesar. So we're just going to look at a few of those tonight, but I want you to know that there's many, many more. And and when this book was written, this letter was written to the churches um, it, much of this would have been understood without any secondary thought whatsoever. So let's just pick this up tonight with the idea of eyes like a flame of fire. Um, there's a connection with this in something we've already studied in week one, and that is something John has already referenced back in chapter 1, 12, 12 through 14. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and, and on turning I saw one like a son of man, Jesus Christ, Uh, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and the hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow and his eyes, here it is, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Again, in in chapter 1, describing Jesus, and now, therefore, we know in chapter 19, also describing Jesus. What is the context of of his eyes were like a flame of fire? What is the meaning of that? What's the symbolism behind that? Well, there's a lot of places we could go. We could go to Old Testament references in a lot of places. But most likely, the, the best way to understand that, or one way to understand it is, his eyes are piercing. Um, They're like a flame of fire. They can see through you. They can see into you. They can read your heart, your mind. They see all things. Nothing is hidden from him whatsoever. So let's go back to the idea of justice. Will there ever be justice? Absolutely there will. And the ultimate justice that will come will be on that day when Jesus Christ himself comes back in the clouds and he comes back not as the lamb but as the lion because his eyes will be like a flame of fire and there will be nothing hidden from him. He will see all things and he will be able to judge and just and and wage war righteously. Is there justice coming? Absolutely. How about the part that we read there, A name, he has a name nobody knows. He has a name nobody knows. What is, the, what is that referencing? Well, there are several possibilities with that tonight. The first one is, uh, it could be the sacred name of Yahweh that was not to be written or spoken in the Old Testament. Uh, you see the way I wrote that there is Y-H-W-H. They would, the, the, the ancient Israelites would not even speak the name or write the name, and they would take the, the consonants um, and the vowels from another word and mix them together, which is how we come up with Yahweh. Um, but his name was so sacred, it was not even to be spoken. It could be that that's what's being referenced. It could also be something referenced in Philippians 2, 9, and 11, and that is he is, has the name that's above every other name. Uh, This could be a reference to Moses uh, when he came up on the burning bush and he asked God, God, tell me, you've got to give me a name to tell people who you are. And he says, I am that I am. Could be something like that. But we're not exactly, I mean, there's a number of ways that it could go. Just know that it's something that's sacred, something that's special. And frankly, it's nobody knows it. So Quite likely, we're not supposed to have some hard, solid, definitive answer on this one the revelation of Jesus Christ, what is he revealing about himself? It also describes him in that that first section of verses in chapter 19 I read as he has a robe dipped in blood. Now there's a few ways that this gets interpreted. One is the blood that has stained his robe is blood that has come from his sacrifice as the lamb. And that's entirely possible. That may be the reference. It could be that. But there are a couple of other possibilities. One is it's the blood of the martyrs that pop up several times throughout Revelation. This is the blood of the martyrs that are back to justice. This is Jesus bringing justice to those that have been persecuted and even martyred for, the, for, for their faith in him. So it could be that. But another possibility is found in Isaiah 63. The third possibility is this, that it is the blood of those that he is bringing judgment upon and let me just share it with you a little bit of Isaiah 63 here Who is this who comes and this is a description of the Messiah? Who is this who comes in crimsoned garments? He who is splendid in his apparel marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness Mighty to save does that sound like anybody that you maybe have heard about somewhere along the way like Jesus the Messiah? Mighty to save absolutely. Well, let's read a little further. The question is asked, why is your apparel red, and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and trampled them in my wrath. Now remember, we're talking about not anger and wrath in the sense of humanity, where it's often built on jealousy and pettiness or revenge. This is righteous anger and righteous wrath. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. So when it talks about his robe being dipped in blood, it could be him as the Messiah, as the Lamb. And and certainly he's paid a price, and it very well could be that. It could also legitimately be the blood of the martyrs who he will bring justice for. But it also could be the blood of those that he's bringing judgment upon, which honestly, in the context of what we're reading here in chapter 19, starting with verse 11, That seems like that's the most likely option, but it could be any of the three or even all of the three is a possibility. He's called the Word of God. This is a New Testament reference, and I'm sure many of you make this connection. John 1, 1, uh, also written by John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is called the Word of God. And then uh, uh, lastly, I I, I think this is the last one that we want to hear real quick before we, we move on to the next area. Uh, he wears many crowns, many diadems. Well, I think that's probably a reference and a parody to a couple of lesser beings that also are noted to have some crowns. The dragon is noted in Revelation 12.3 as having seven crowns. The beast is known in Revelation 13.1 as having ten crowns. Jesus has many crowns. In other words, he rules over all kingdoms, not just some kingdoms. He doesn't have just some power. He has all power. He has all authority. He has all crowns. He has many crowns crowns. So he is crowned with many diadems or many crowns. Let's look tonight also at the battle that was no battle. I talked about the war that is no war. Let's look at the battle that was no battle as we move on into Revelation. And let me pick this up with verses 14 and 15 tonight. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him, following Jesus, on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress. that ought to maybe uh, flip a trigger in your mind back to what i just read in isaiah 63 he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath again righteous wrath the wrath of god the almighty um, so we see things being set up for a battle we have jesus on a white horse uh, all those titles that reveal who he is the armies of heaven are following behind him, uh, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, and white and pure, were following him on white horses. And we see see a battle forming up here. It's the battle between Jesus and, and and the armies behind him, the armies of the Lord, the armies of heaven, against the 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 Satan and against the false prophet, against the beast, against the armies of this earth. We see a battle forming up. But I want you to see this. It's quite likely the battle that was no battle, and I'll show you what I'm talking about here in just a moment. Um, and, and again, remember, we. Uh, and I know I keep emphasizing this, but people get so funny about this stuff today. Remember, he is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. We read that back in chapter 9, verse 11. Um, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And let's do this tonight uh, just one more time. Let's make a connection here to a cultural context in the days that this was written revelation was written caesar himself claimed to be the king of kings and the lord of lords and you know what he rode into battle he rode a white horse into battle and without a doubt as john wrote down his uh vision his prophecy he knew He knew that this was a description. Yes, Caesar may think he's king of of kings and lord of lords, but in reality, Jesus is. Caesar may think that he's something special, but in reality, Jesus is. And he knew that the the early church was going to make that connection as well. Um, Let's read on, chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. This battle that was forming. Let's see what happens here. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God. Now, this is not the marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? That's referenced just a few verses earlier. We're going to read it here in a minute. This is a tale of two suppers. This is a supper. Um, This angel goes, and actually this has been going on since being set up since chapter 16. A loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. This is one of two suppers that take place. It's a tale of two suppers. The other one took place in verse nine. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So these two suppers, the first supper is this, it's the marriage supper of the lamb. Those that have made a decision to follow Christ uh they're going to sit down and they're going to have a meal um, with the lamb the marriage supper of the lamb trust me tonight that is the supper you want to be invited to because the other supper that we saw just a moment ago was the the great supper of god in the first supper you sit down with the lamb with jesus with the lion um and have that marriage supper of the lamb and the second supper, the second supper Uh, You're not having supper. You are the supper come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings The flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men both free and slave small and Great, it's a tale of two suppers and trust me tonight. You want to make sure you're invited to the second supper Let's go ahead a little further with this. Remember the battle is forming revelation 19 19 and I saw The beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown in alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now, wait a minute. What happened there? We went from the battle is forming. There's a, a prediction or prophecy that there's going to be much death, and then all of a sudden it jumps to verse 20, and the beast and the false prophet are captured. Where'd the battle go? Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. The first one is that when Jesus speaks, um, and, 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 and the sword of, uh, that comes out of his mouth is described as coming out of his mouth, uh, that just ends it. There is no battle. I think it's probably more likely, though, that it, it does what happens a lot in, in apocalyptic writing and even Old Testament writing. Uh, there are just details and pieces and parts we're just not giving. So it could be that the battle is a battle that is no battle, or it could be a, that it's a battle that we are involved in, the the, the the armies of heaven are involved in. We don't really know. What we do know is at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, Jesus will come out the victor. And the beast, justice. The beast and the false prophet will be caught. They will be captured. These that have deceived humanity and deceived God's creation for eons, Satan himself, in a moment, they're captured. And and these two are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Is there going to be justice? Listen to me, my friend. You may feel like You've not received justice, but I'm promising you tonight, there will come a day where all men, all people, Satan himself, will have justice. There will come a day where each and every one will stand before God and give account. Justice is a real thing, and it absolutely will one day happen. I want you to know that. I want you to realize that that's going to take place. That will happen. Let's go on. Let's read verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword. That came from the mouth of him was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Was there a battle? I don't know. We don't know whether it was a battle, but we know there was death because the birds gorged with their flesh. That's horrible. That's a, a tragedy. That is um, a gory description. But again, it goes back to he is the one who judges righteously and makes war righteously. And we, we, we can't lose sight of that. We've got to absolutely... Remember that tonight. Let's jump down into chapter 20 and we're going to bring this to a close here in just a minute We want to look at three verses in chapter 20 um, Justice, let's talk a little further about the ultimate justice First one says then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. So the battle or the battle that is no battles taken place uh, The beast and the prophet have been have been captured. They've been thrown into the fiery pit uh, those that stood with them have been slain now, probably this is those that were on the battlefield. There will still be much humanity left on this earth that uh, will not be slain. It's not that the, all of humanity that was following the beast will necessarily be slain, uh, but those that were on the battlefield will be slain. So we're, we're at that point. And then John has another, an, another scene you can almost imagine it as. He has another picture, another vision. An angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hands the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, so if you have any question about who this is, the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit, and notice this, see, so so Satan himself is captured, he is thrown into the pit, the pit is shut, the pit is sealed, so the, that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little so let me, before we jump into the, this last piece of this tonight, let me just address this: the whole idea of a thousand years. There's a, there's three different perspectives on this, and I don't have the time, and you probably don't have the patience or the interest to stay as I go deep into this. But let me just hit it real quickly. We're premillennialist in our views, our beliefs. I think that is the best biblical description of the millennium. In other words, there's going to be a rapture of the church. We believe there will be a tribulation period of seven years, and then the millennium, the thousand years, will take place. There are those, however, who are amillennials, amillennialists, they call them, and they don't believe there will actually be a rapture or tribulation, but they believe we will just, over time, humanity will move into a place where the millennium take happens. It takes place. It's more of a gradual process. Some even, probably another way to put it would be uh, the millennium, it, millennial reign is that last 1,000 years that, that leads into what we call heaven or eternity. And then there's postmillennialists who believe that the rapture, such as it is, um, or such as they see it, would happen after that 1,000 years reign. Again, you, you don't have to get deep into that stuff, and I could spend a whole session on that. But we're pre and I believe that is the best way to understand <clears throat> understand God's Word with regard to that. But let me address this other question that I see pop up a lot. Why in the world would God put Satan in the pit, shut it, seal it, that he can't deceive the nations any longer, and then a thousand years later uh, let him loose for a while. Well here's my thoughts on it. Okay, uh, After the battle of Armageddon, as I said, all those that were on the, the, the battlefield with the beast and the prophet and Satan, they're slain. So they're going to stand before God in judgment one day. But all those of humanity that were not on the battlefield, they're still living. And, and I believe, again, this goes back to justice. And for 1,000 years, and, and people have different views on the 1,000 years, some see it as a literal 1,000, some see it as a symbolic period of time. For a period of time, and I believe it's literally a 1,000, but regardless, for a period of time, for the millennial reign, however you see that millennial reign, Uh, Jesus is going to rule Satan is going to have no influence people are going to have no option but to live lives of holiness righteousness Justice and they're going to see what it would be like to live in a world imagine a world where Jesus rules where there is complete justice Faithfulness faith all all of those things there's honesty. There's integrity. There's no murder. There's no death. There's no tears so for 1,000 years that's going to happen so all of those that were on the earth at that point are going to have that experience okay but then at the end of the thousand years again however you see that thousand years at the end of the thousand years satan is going to be loosed and immediately what we begin to see and we're not going to read on into that tonight but immediately what we begin to see is the nations of the world the people of the world those that for a thousand years have lived under christ's reign are going to once again just like that are going to be pulled um, to satan And are going to follow him one last time into battle and I believe it's a matter of giving everybody a fair chance it's a it's a matter of justice it's a matter of making certain that everybody has the freedom to make a fully informed choice and and at that point and we're not going to read into that tonight read that far into chapter 20 but at that point God says okay that's it here it is you've made your choice you've made your decision you've had your opportunity here's justice this is final this is done and he's going to bring things to an end and we're going to step into what we uh, Traditionally, call heaven or eternity on this earth. That's the reason I believe makes the most sense as to why there's going to be a thousand years. So let me bring this to a close tonight. Who is Jesus revealed to be? Because remember, this is Revelation, the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. He is the lamb that was slain. And, And I hope you're getting this. I hope you've got this. Jesus is the lamb that was slain, slain to pay a price as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. But he's also revealed as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is revealed not just as a lamb that was slain, but that lamb is more like a ram, at one point described as seven horns, horns or with seven horns are or, or full of authority and power and, and and control. He is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is nobody above him. This is what he's revealed to be. He is also revealed to be, as we come into chapter 19, he is revealed to be the victor. Satan has set this thing up, and he has been deceiving people for eons, convincing them that he will win, that he can win, that, that Jesus will be defeated. But we see in chapter 19, Jesus is the victor. He as It's already determined. It's already set The end of the book is written. Okay, he is the victor. He is finally the one we are to choose to follow. And following Jesus this 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 day is a choice. And I encourage you tonight, if you've not done it, this would be the thing I would encourage you to do. Make a choice tonight to follow after Jesus in the here and now spiritually. Bow your head and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. I need you, and I'm asking you forgive me of. Of the sins and the history and the stuff in my life i need you i need i need you as as the the, the, the uh, lamb that was slain for my sins i need you to pay the sacrifice which you did for my sins please forgive me for my sins and i encourage you tonight make the choice to be a follower of jesus the revelation of jesus christ the revelation of christ in revelation he is revealed to be some pretty amazing things we're going to finish this up next week with one last week we're going to look at chapters 21 and uh, 22 and see how Jesus, how Christ is revealed in those last two chapters of Revelation. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Leave a comment. If you enjoyed this tonight, leave a comment. Let us know. Make sure you share this uh, and, and just get the word out there uh, of who Jesus is. And uh, I hope to see you guys Sunday. And uh, you, God bless you and you have a great week. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at indie.r.com.